All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a slightly later coffee chat because we started the chat and then we forgot to turn on the live stream. Well, we didn't forget, but we did. We ended up chatting. So uh, this week, uh, we are going to continue to do our, our series on what we are calling Where in the World, where we are uh, focusing on a different destination and our partners and friends in those different destinations. So this week, we are featuring my friend, Jesse Blackwood. Hello, Jesse. Good morning. Kalimera. Good morning, Sarah. So Jesse, how are you? I am very good. Thank you. Um, and Jesse is theoretically in Greece, but you're not actually physically in Greece, right? Just in your mind, you're in Greece. Yeah, spiritually, um, you know, in my heart, uh, I'm in Greece. Greece is a place that I, I love very, very deeply. I'm actually in, in North Carolina, uh, in the Outer Banks, uh, in Kerala, just at the moment. But um, my background is Nathlio, uh, which is the, the one time a modern capital of Greece and uh, a beautiful, beautiful place to uh, to go visiting and enjoy the the sun and wind and sea. Cool. So Greece is not yet one of my sort of wheelhouses, although I think we're going to move into Greece in 2023. But Jesse, just to let you know, he runs a company, a kind of like me, a little upstart new company. Uh, he is a, a, a former Rick Steves tour guide, just like me, who started their own company. And your company is called Al Aletheia Travel. Is that right? Yeah, Aletheia Travel. And um, Aletheia, actually, you know, we, we thought we, we, we worked at or we went through so many different names. And this is still pretty fresh because we're, we're a younger company than you. Uh, but so we thought, you know, what are, the, what are the, the possible names? And we actually, we settled on Aletheia. I'm really excited about this uh, because it's a word for two reasons. It's a word that, that means truth and the substance of things. But uh, etymologically, it comes from that myth of the river Lethe. The Lethe River, which is the, the river of forgetfulness, right? That souls will pass through before they enter back into the world. Well, Alethe is the, the unforgetfulness. It's the process of unforgetting. So it's, it's the remembering of the substance of things, or the remembering of the truth of the world, which I, I just thought was a beautiful image for what travel or a tour company really does. It's like, you know, unforgetting yeah. as you, as you travel around. So that is a really, that's, see, I, I, this is what I love about you, Jesse. Jesse always takes things a little bit deeper and uh, you always have such an interesting point of view. I just want to back up just real quickly and let you guys know how I met Jesse, which is very funny actually. So um, when I was working for Rick Steves, I had, we had a colleague, Stephen Blackwood, who is his brother and Stephen and I were friends and I got a phone call at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> hey, my brother's at the airport. Can you go pick him up? <laughs> I was like, what? Like, Stephen never called me. Like, he called, yeah, my brother's at the airport. Can you go, can you go get him? And I'm like, uh, okay. So I went and I picked up Jesse at the airport. We'd never met before. And I'm like, well, if you're Stephen's brother, just come and stay with us. So he came and stayed in our playroom and had to sleep amongst the Legos. <laughs> with the kids. It was the kids, little kids playroom at the time. And uh, we went on a little world, whirlwind tour of Seattle to see like all the different things, the troll and get Dick's Burgers. And he went for his interview at Rick Steves and the rest is history. He became a tour guide. And how long ago was that? Was that, that had to be what, 10 years ago now? Yeah, that was about, that was about 10 years ago. And I, wow. I mean, honestly, Sarah, remarkably, that's still the kind of the nature of our relationship. I mean, amazingly, you told me without knowing me uh, from, you know, anybody, you're like, oh yeah, well. 
you know, we always say that uh, that we're a family. So I'm just going to put my put put my money where my my mouth is. And why don't you stay with me tonight? And you know, yeah. no, you know, don't don't rent a car. Uh, I'll I'll come pick you up. I'll, you know, and then actually you pretty well single handedly got me that job uh, because I didn't have any backgrounds uh, in tour guiding, um, and you knew that they were looking for tour guides with a kind of a uh, European wide experience. So you said, well, go in and tell them that you really want to be a best of Europe tour guide. <laughs> no, no, they'll hire you. So yeah, you know, I, I, think, I did coach you a little bit, but you know, th that's the thing is that it's, uh, it's easy to spot raw talent. That's the thing. And you have, you have so many interesting qualities that you bring to your guiding. So uh, I could tell that from the first time I met you. So. Uh, well, thanks uh, Sarah. But at the same time, I mean, you're, you haven't, you haven't stopped, uh, uh, stopped treating me like family. So. Well, you are family. You know, that's the thing. We are, we're, we're the family we choose. Even if you have an enormous family, which is a funny thing about the Blackwoods, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Yeah, we, we, well, I have, well, I have seven brothers and, and two sisters. Um, although now everybody's getting married, actually this, I, and I don't know if I've told you this a little bit, you know, that I got married uh, this yes. year yep. um, in Greece of all places, which maybe we'll talk about that later, but Previous to that, my brother Dave got married in April. Uh, my brother Mike is getting married in Mexico. And then I have a brother Joe who's getting married uh, in May. And my brother Tim got engaged. So, so now oh. our, um, you know, what, what had been 10, uh, I guess now there are only two, two of my family members that are not yet uh, married or, or engaged. So we're, we're growing at an exponential rate. Well, and your family is kind of notorious in our social circle because all of the, all 10 of you guys are like attractive and super well-rounded and really talented. So what is it your parents did, man? I need to like sit down with your mom and ask her for some pointers. <laughs> well, that's very, very kind of you to say. And that's, that's one way of, of looking at the glass. Um, we're, uh, because we're also, I suppose, risk takers. And with that, with yes. that comes, um, you know, uh, and now in the pandemic, having just gotten married um, in Maria, I don't know, tell more if you're watching this or not. Um, <laughs> but we're we're looking. I'm looking for the first time uh, in my life for a for a home. Um, and so the, you know, the flip side of um, you know going on a lot of adventures is is that you um, anyway. There's always uh, all of our virtues and our weaknesses that kind of go hand in hand. But I think for my parents, honestly, just a, a, a they they have a they're they're kind of adventurers themselves. They have a spirit of adventure and that was what allowed them to want to have a big family. And, you know, they never really traveled. People always ask me that. It's, well, your parents must've traveled all over the world and they, they haven't very much, but they live with that kind of spirit of discovery and they're very much live in the moment. They're not, you know, plan. Absolutely. They're not planned 10 years down the road kind of people. Um, but, um, but I think that just embrace of the moment is, and, and then, you know, when you're in a family, it also gives you, uh, in a big family, it gives you uh, both a, a stability and a kind of a network of friends uh, who will encourage you to, to go out and, and leap out of that nest, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I have a brother that's a filmmaker. He said, well, you want to make films? Like, go, go make films. Um, and, you know, Stephen, uh, as our, our, our mutual uh, friend, is, is founding a university, which is an un 
unheard of. I know. I couldn't believe that when he told me that I'm founding a university and I'm like, that totally sounds like something you would do. (laughs) Yeah. So, But everybody in your family like does these really bold, creative, cool things. And I'm just, you know, even when I I first met you, you were just writing a novel, weren't you? Yeah, I think I was, I was just, I'd been living in the the Northern wilderness, just, uh, just south of Alaska. Uh, And, or I was heading off to, to go up there I'm coming back yeah, I, or heading off I can't remember yeah but um yeah and actually that's that's my first love writing is my is really my my first love uh but I do love I do love travel and I love sharing teaching I guess I would before even before travel I would say teaching uh and I think we're uh we, we share that that yeah you know it's the travel is not enough you have to you know it just it just occurred to me Jesse I'm just gonna throw this out and like put you on the spot here and make you really nervous you know what we should do this is my dad always says this you know what we should do um you what you and I should do we should collaborate on writing like city guides and things like that since you are a writer as well as I am I bet if we put our heads together we could be like a very dynamic writing team don't you think yeah I think we could I think we could and um and again I think that that's uh, actually, actually, one of the that's one of my long term hopes. Uh, we we have talked about this. I think I, we mentioned this maybe one, once a year or so ago. But I love the I love the idea. You've put so much energy into the the guide collective and uh, trying to support uh, kind of guides like me who are just starting their their businesses. Uh, but um, but but I hope one of one of the things that comes out of that are local city tours uh, in a very broad way uh, by people that that live there right that instead of instead of because I heard recently that uh, that Amazon was kind of working their way into uh, the, the guiding world and you know they are of, but it's super cheesy because what they're is doing it, is it's like personal shopping that's what it actually is right. Yeah. Although, so my kids got Oculus for Christmas and my dad just bought one because he loved it so much. It's the VR headset, you know, the Facebook thing. And uh, I, I got one because it's got a great fitness program that I'm obsessed with that I'm actually getting in really good shape using it. So my dad got it for that purpose. But yesterday we were playing with it and they had these movies that you can watch like only three or four minutes long that are like, there's one on Venice where you seriously are like in the middle of St. Mark's Square. And it was a montage of different locations in Venice. And I, Venice is like a second home to me. And it almost made me cry. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm there. I'm, I mean, I can almost smell the air. And that's wow. the kind of stuff I think is really compelling as far as virtual travel stuff goes. But the thing is, I just don't think we as a society are quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel, I mean, I, I've never, I, I've never, I've never tried that, so I can't speak to that. But it, there is something that I'm kind of old-fashioned. Uh, Me too. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for artificial intelligence or virtual. <laughs> reality. You strike me as somebody who would be much more comfortable in the 19th century. <laughs> You'd have hung out with Byron and swam in the Grand Canal, right? <laughs> as uh, that, that is one of. I mentioned that to to some of our mutual friends, uh, and they're like, "No, you you can't you can't swim there because you'll die or get arrested." This is it, but one one or the other. But yeah, absolutely, I would love. That's still one of my lifetime goals. And I kind of I figured, you know, if you did it at night, you could probably get away with it. 
<laughs> you couldn't pay me to swim in the Grand Canal. My, <laughs> if you knew what was in the Grand Canal, you would not even want to do that. Oh, no, but you only have to swim to the Lido, right? So it's, you know, it's okay, it's still a little bit dirty, but it, you know. I don't even like swimming on the Adriatic side of the Lido. It's so murky. It's gross. I'm I'm a spoiled baby, though, because I love the water in Sicily or Thailand or wherever it's really aquamarine. So I'm just a big spoiled baby. So yeah, Greece, Greece do it. Greece. Yeah. So um, we're going to be talking a lot about Greece this week. And I thought it'd be fun to have Jesse on for two reasons. Number one, of course, you guys know that I'm really determined to promote small tour operators who really are going to try to do something different, you know, and I think Jesse, and I really align in terms of our philosophy and, and outlook about what tourism and travel and tour group tours can be. Um, but also, I don't really, I mean, I've been to Greece and I love Greece and I'm going to go spend some time there this summer, but I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means. So it's going to be fun this week to hear your point of view on Greece. And one of the things that we were talking about this morning is how Greece and Italy really are so connected and they align on so many, in so many ways that a lot of people, everybody loves Italy. Italy is like, it's like feeding candy to babies, right? Everybody loves it. But Greece, I think a lot of people love it, but I don't think that's the first place most people go when they visit Europe. So from your point of view, you know, what is the attraction of Greece and what is that connection that you think between their, Italy and Greece? Oh gosh. And so a big question, I know. It's a great question, and I just, I'm just happy to talk about Greece, honestly. And and I, I'm I'm kind of a, a Greece baby as well in many ways. I uh, I studied classics, and I, or so you know in high school I studied Latin, and then I got into classics in university. And actually, I thought, you know, I'll be after having traveled fairly extensively, that well, I better not go to Greece. I'll be disappointed because I, you know, I I love the the ancient Greeks so much that modern Greece, it will just be kind of anticlimactic. But, but actually the opposite was the case is, well, these things are still alive. You know, these things that I, I love, they're, they're still here and they're still living. Um, and, and so I guess there were a couple of, there's so many ways of, of answering that. Why, why go to Greece? I think there's a sense of, of the giftedness of the world that particularly, and I would say outside of, outside of the cities and actually outside of some of the the well-trod touristed places, but you can actually have a, a very sustainable kind of tourism experience there, which is hard to get uh, in much of the rest of, of Europe because they're really, you know, they're, they're poor, poorer and living um, in relation to each other, but also in relation to the traditions of the lands and food in uh, the sea that are very, very ancient and it's kind of beautiful and generous and life-giving. Um, but uh, relative to, and then, and then, you know, relative to the whole history of Greece, right? I mean, I thought, actually, I always talk about uh, Greece, even on my trips, uh, even before I had ever been to Greece, I thought, well, you know, there's no way of, of understanding why we travel to Europe uh, without understanding the Greek influence on Europeans, and this will, I suppose, lead us into uh, the other side of your question: is the kind of the friendship or the the family style relationship between Italy and the Greeks? But but the the ideas I think that are at the foundation of why we travel to to Europe they're they really they came to us through the Greeks, and you know we had these these mariners, these small city states uh, traders or you know merchants who went out over the Aegean. And 
you know, all across the Mediterranean. They came back with goods and ideas and, you know, they sold them in the Agora in the marketplace. And well, throughout this process over the course of centuries, they said, they, eventually they realized, well, you know, we can do this ourselves, right? We don't, we don't need uh, kings or pharaohs or the other kind of uh, governments that uh, characterize the, the previous uh, thousands of years of uh, human civilizations. Uh, and uh, in, while they, they were bringing these things back uh, into the Agora, into the marketplace, they, they simultaneously discovered, uh, I think, a couple of wonderful things that shaped the rest of us. And that's, of course, democracy, uh, but it's also the arts um, and, a, and a rich, rich sense of, of the beauty or of beauty and the beautiful, but, but not, just, not just in a kind of a passive way, uh, but in a, in, a, in a very participatory way. Uh, and, and so that, you know, what, what, what was beautiful, uh, became also very, very human, right. Mm -hmm. And they take the human as the image for becoming beautiful. And anyway, and of course this also, uh, falls into their sense of religion, uh, in the religious practice so that gods, you know, we, uh, uh, on the whole, as Christians, uh, we tend to say, well, you know, man made in the image of God, but for the Greeks, it was kind of the opposite, right. Uh, God's made in the image of man, and and so that's a that's an expression of the divinity of what it means to be human. And these were kind of beautiful and capricious gods, Olympians. And this is where actually we come, where Italy comes into the picture, because as these city states grow and become you know more and more stable, they don't actually have enough land and farming uh, areas for themselves, and they have a very very strong sense of internal culture. The questions of of who they are, are are very clear that you they would defend their own cities as citizens uh that they wouldn't in other words it wasn't just kind of something that was being imposed on them from above um and so eventually they took these ideas and they settled in italy and you know i know we've traveled a lot in italy and you've seen um many uh, of the the great you're very familiar with many of the great um Greek temples uh, from Magna Grecia that uh, exist uh, all across Italy. And actually some of the best preserved ones are, are in Italy. Um, but what I didn't know, and this was kind of the background to, to why I was so excited to go there because I'd always heard about these things. And I just wanted to go and, and live and see them for myself. But, um, but what I didn't realize until I went there, and there's a little hint of this in the back of uh, my my background here. It's kind of kind of hard to tell. This is Nathlio, but this was uh, also a Venetian town. And oh. after we built this <clears throat> built this tour, it took me actually it took me a couple of months because we were going to these beautiful places in Greece and all these with these lovely ancient towns. And eventually, I realized well, actually, everywhere we go, except for uh, Athens and in the mountains in Dimitsana, all of these towns were at one time Venetian towns. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was kind of a revelation for me because, you know, I know we, we've been to, to Venice. I, I mean, you've been there countless times. I, I don't know. Um, it would be hard to, to know how many. And, you know, I remember you telling me, you said, well, you know, Venice, it was, so, it was so rich and powerful. It would be something like, I think the example you gave me, it would be something like they had 50 Bill Gates. This was 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. 50 mm. before uh, Bezos was the the man that the wealthiest man. So it'd be like having 50 Bill Gates is there. 
Um, and, I, and I had a hard time putting that in perspective. So, well, how is it that that happened? Until I, I made this realization about these uh, Venetian towns, which actually, you know, are all on the, the southern part of the, the Peloponnese and also the island. So they controlled all of these trade routes from, from east to west. And I mean, I guess one can imagine that, that that's what, you know, the major uh, digital corporations are doing today, that they're, they're kind of controlling our, our commerce. And so anyway, uh, that's a, 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 side, a side reflection. But, but just that there, there has been uh, for, for centuries and centuries this, uh, this back and forth. Right. Uh, yeah, they are. They're more connected than I think people realize. And I think a lot of people understand the idea that Roman art and architecture is an extension of, of Greek art and architecture because the Romans were the great aggregators. You know, they went around the Mediterranean and they collected all these different things and put it together into kind of a pastiche, you know, kind of their own version of all of these little pieces they put together, whereas the Greeks take place i mean their their main history i would say 400 bc is a good date to remember when you're thinking about sort of the height of of greece and so that's a lot earlier i mean we're talking 400 years earlier uh but they took things from other people as well but i think what what the greeks did that was unique was that concept of democracy and was this their social structure that was something completely new as far as I know, maybe you know better, but what is it in the Greek spirit that sort of has this incredible, you know, opening of, of ideas? Because that's a that's a big idea for people in the ancient world to have, that everybody can participate, everybody can understand philosophy. Like, that's such a modern concept. I mean, we don't have that concept in the world, really, until the 19th century, or, at, well, I mean, the Enlightenment, I guess. But where, where do you, what is it about Greeks that, that gave them that kind of extra something back in the ancient times that's that's a, a great question and uh not one that i have the answer to uh or what what i i, I would I, I suppose say two things one that of course they they killed socrates uh and you know they killed socrates so in other words it wasn't mm -hmm. as if that immediately the ideas took off right that new change is always threatening for us. So even in ancient times, uh, the change was was threatening for them. But I think that uh, it I think that it has to do with uh, kind of two two things. Uh, and one is a, a rich sense of kind of internal community, like the that the the city state is small enough that it's happening at a human level. And and in many ways, maybe Seattle is a little bit like that. It may be a bit bit too big uh, now, but it's still kind of a city, it's, it's structured like a city state that, you know, you can have relationships and still uh, probably know to run into people that you know, uh, but it's been very successful as a kind of model city. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that they had that, uh, but they also had that in relation to the Mediterranean, which is, you know, you go out on a voyage and, you know, you, you make these discoveries and, and you bring them back again, into the marketplace. And, and there are things that it's hard to, hard to say where, where it comes from. Is it the Greek, is it just the Greek disposition? Um, I, it's the sunshine. I don't know. It's all the vitamin D. <laughs> it, well, well, vitamin it, it, D, the olive oil, the great, the great food, that's gotta be what it is. <laughs> well, you know, even today they don't, they don't have a word for stranger in their language. Like stranger? 
they, yeah, they, they don't have a word uh, for, yeah. for stranger. And um, you, you feel that when you're there, like, I, you know, I, I, we appreciate as, 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 as tour guides uh, going into a place where people just kind of welcome us and, and treat us, you know, not like tour guides, uh, not like, you know, people that are bringing groups, but that, you know, whatever, they, they remember our names and, you know, we go out for drinks together. And, and w- in Italy, you encounter that all over the place. And I don't, I'm not, and it's, 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 it wouldn't be fair to make comparisons. But what I, I will say is that in Greece, I've over and over again had this experience where, you know, I'll be walking into, doesn't matter, a restaurant or a- anywhere, a, a new Airbnb. And I, I get the feeling that I'm in meeting my family, my extended family that I've, I've never met. They're, and they're, yeah. they're kind of welcoming, welcoming me back home. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is, I guess, what is maybe the best answer to your first question, right? That they, you know, I love that sense of just, just being kind of welcomed in. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's obviously what keeps me coming back to Italy. And I think that that's, there is such a, a symmetry in terms of the attitude towards guests, I, th- I think, in Italy and in Greece. Because, well, and it's not surprising, because if you actually looked at the DNA of a lot of Southern Italians, they're Greek anyway. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the reality. And actually, Venetians, too, were primarily Greek well not primarily but they were very heavily Greek as well because they're traders so all of the Mediterranean peoples kind of have that that genetic link so right. well yeah again if we think of you know just like from civilization to civilization we have the Greeks Magna Grecia then we have the Romans um, who are of course going to take over and conquer and you know people like Hadrian who fall so much in love with the Greeks that he actually goes to Athens and rebuilds it um, and then, you know, we have the Byzantine Empire, which is, again, the kind of the Greek Roman Empire. Uh, and then the, you know, well, I mean, we have, I guess, on that side, the, the Ottomans pop up, but, the, but the, then the Venetians, right? And so it's like a torch that just keeps getting getting passed. Uh, yeah. And it's not, you know, I mean, here we are, we're saying Greek uh, or Italian, as if those are realities that that existed. Uh, instead, it was, you know, much more fluid, I think, back and forth. So I think there's an interesting opportunity when we speak about Greece and when we take people to travel in Greece. And, you know, you and I agree very much that travel shouldn't be bucket list. Like we want to like burn the bucket list. It shouldn't be that. What it should be is how can we travel in such a way that we are um, immersed in, in our culture, but also that we elevate people's spirit, you know, by, by visiting a place, by connecting with the place, by understanding the culture, somehow we as humans are, are broadened. I think that you and I would agree very much on that. Greece is a really good place for that, don't you think? I mean, there's a lot of potential to really have a very different experience. I mean, yeah, you can go up to, I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking about is when I went to the Acropolis a few years ago, I, you know, I studied that in architecture school. Obviously, it is one of the ultimate things from the ancient world that you want to see the Parthenon. And that was neat. It was neat from the, let's take that great shot. I have a beautiful shot of myself standing next to the Parthenon, you know, that I can put on my Facebook page. Awesome. But what was really important about that visit was not seeing the Parthenon, actually. 
I had a guide with me who was, I, I wish I could remember her name or find her. She was this older woman who looked a little disheveled at the gate and she was trying to put a tour group together. And of course I'm a tour guide and I'm sympathetic. And I'm like, oh, this poor lady, she can't get any customers. So I just went up to her and I, I said, how much would it be if you just took me? And she, she told me, and then a couple, I asked a couple of other people in the line, I said, Hey, do you want to split the cost on this with me for this lady? So we got a group of like three people, four people together. And it was an incredible experience. And it wasn't at all what we saw. It was the way she talked about the connection between myth and humanity and architecture and art that was just so compelling. And I just don't, I don't think I've ever seen or heard uh, all of that stuff packaged in a way that made a lot of sense because the Greeks really did feel that architecture is not just something that's built to shelter you, that it was something for hu the human soul, right? I mean, one of the great things I learned on there that I'll never forget is that, you know, these temples, they're all built on top of hills with columns because they're essentially string instruments and that the wind passes through those columns and creates a vibration that should make the city calm and create sort of peace within the people. I mean, what a big idea that is. Um, so that's the thing that really, I feel like when we speak about Greece, we have so many opportunities to elevate the dialogue, don't you think? I, I couldn't agree with that more, Sarah. I thought you just said that so beautifully. And the, yeah, that when we, at, at its best, when we, we travel, we seek, uh, to to elevate and be elevated. And we have this sense of aspiration. I think that's partly a, um, an aspiration towards a kind of a dignity uh, about who we are and what the world is around us and who we can become. And it, it, that's exactly, in, in my mind, what, the, what the, the Parthenon is. It's built, as you say, it's built at the, at the Acropolis. Uh, and again, the metaphors, it's hard to know in, in Greece so, well, is this a metaphor? Is this a reality, right? Is this the explanation or is this just the way of life? And you kind of, you feel that with, with the Parthenon. You say, well, yeah, it's, it's a temple built at the highest point of the city, right? So that we have to ascend to get there. Uh, and, and we do, right? We don't, we, it, it actually, the, we come to join our neighbors and our friends bearing gifts. And it's a temple that's also quite beautifully, I think, built to Athena, who we gave our name uh, because she gave us uh, the sustenance that we need to survive, right? Uh, and, you know, Athena, again, I, I think with, with, with Greek myths, uh, once, you, once you dive in, uh, you, you see like just what a rich, rich understanding of the world they had, because here we have Athena, who is one of, one of the most beautiful goddesses, but uh, she is the goddess of wisdom and also of war. Uh, yeah. And her, the image of Athena is also that of the owl. Uh, so that, again, this is something that uh, maybe as a kind of a romantic spirit, uh, I have always related to, uh, because they say that the owl takes flight at dusk. Uh, and it's actually Hegel. Uh, who I remember writing about this, uh, one of the uh, 19th, 18th century uh, Enlightenment figures, or maybe earlier, um, but that we don't, we actually, we don't know uh, until kind of the end of our lives, so to speak, the, the gifts that, that we've been given. And 
I, I, that's 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 um, in, inadequate to to what you were saying about the the Parthenon, but I think the images are 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 there and they're abundant, and you actually you know that uh, when you're when you take the time not just to to have a have a picture taken, but to see why these stones are are images of our own lives and how the Parthenon became a foundational not building, uh, although architecturally. Uh, as, as you know, it, it has had massive influence, but foundational principle on what it means to be human and to kind of elevate or to, to seek to aspire. And, you know, one of the amazing things about Greece is that you can visit these Acropolis, Acropoli, uh, all across the, the city and that there are, I mean, sorry, all across the, the country, right? There, there are many, many places that, you know, I know when we think about Greece, we tend to think, okay, well, we have Athens and then we have Santorini and Mykonos, right? And I just, I'm not sure that's um, gonna give the, the same full uh, spirit of, you know, elevation that, that you'll get if you, you know, walk out into some of those country places where- So, so give us an example then. I mean, cause yeah, because I think that when people think, well, I'm gonna put together a trip to Greece. Yeah, I have to see Athens cause I have to see the Parthenon. And then I wanna go to Santorini and take that picture with all the blue domes. And then I wanna go to Mykonos and like dr drink until I fall over, <laughs> you know? It's like, I think we have this really canned idea of what people do in Greece. But I think there's such potential for a really elevating experience. So if you were to help to suggest for somebody a trip that maybe was unexpected, let's let's take Santorini off the board. Let's take Mykonos off the board. What would your where would your destinations be? Let's say, you know, maybe name four or five destinations that sure. you think would really I mean, you all, I know you're planning a tour. You're offering a tour in April that I'm sure covers some of these. But go ahead and tell me your favorite places for a more elevated experience. Sure, absolutely, and I, I'm and I'm not suggesting you have to avoid going to the the highlights. Right? I'm not suggesting you have to avoid you know visiting Athens and the Parthenon. I think those are very very worthwhile and important experiences to have. But I would couple them, right? So on on the trip that we put together, uh, where we are visiting many many highlights that people have heard about, right? We are going to Delphi and we are going to Olympia, ancient Olympia. And visiting the temples to, to Zeus and you know the oracle to Apollo uh, and going to Mycenae, uh, where you know Agamemnon was was king, uh, or to Abydowers, where a sense of you know hospitals and healthcare, the ancient sanctuary of healing, those are, are wonderful places to visit. And I think, as you say, it's important to go uh, not just to you know you might go and just think, oh well, there's a bunch of rubble here, but but if if you go uh, with a sense of what the underlying story of these places are, then I think that it will, they will become more meaningful. But uh, Maria and I, we, we actually, we went to Greece um, last year, well, the year, I guess now the year before, uh, during the pandemic, uh, because I was looking partly just for a place to, to write. Uh, I had a, a couple of months left on my, my ESTA, or not my ESTA, but on my, my entrance into Europe. And, and so then we went to the Southern Peloponnese, uh, and we ended up, we just, just kind of by chance, we landed in Coroni, uh, in Messina, and Messina is the region for which Kalamata uh, is the capital, and we all know Kalamata because, because of oh, the olives, <laughs> um, but, but that's actually a, a kind of a good indication of the, the place that this is, uh, because 
it's full of olive trees, uh, olive trees and olive farmers. And so I would certainly, I would put that on there. Incidentally, Coroni is also a Venetian, an old Venetian town. Um, and a very beautiful, it's Coroni because it's kind of, the peninsula goes out like this at that point. So it's one of the crowns. And on the other side uh, is Methoni, another beautiful Venetian town. But I would put that, that area uh, because not many people, not many people travel there. And you can, as we did, you can walk down the streets of Coroni and you go into a shop, right? Like I had a pair of shoes made by a shoemaker, uh, Manuelis who was originally from Crete and he had been working in a bigger city. And he said, look, you know, it's just, I'm too busy. I was too busy. So I came here and said, now here I have time for life. Uh, and anyway, you can, you, you, in Coroni, you'll run into that in, in many places. And uh, we'll, we'll be going to Pilos uh, on our trip, which is uh, we'll say kind of the third, uh, the third city uh, of that region. Uh, I would also consider going to, Mesolungi, and we're going to actually meet with an organization, I believe, tomorrow, uh, Mesolungi by Locals, which is a, a fabulous organization. I have uh, almost never encountered anything quite like it. Uh, it's a completely sustainable tourism by by locals, uh, and cool. so it's a place that most people have probably never heard about. Uh, I mean, Mesolungi, who, who even knows where that is? But it's, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> Tell it's me where is the, that? It's uh, it's on the, I think, uh, well, western. I'm uh, just thinking, getting my east and west confused. Here. But on the on the western side of the Corinthian Gulf, uh, and it's close to to Nafpactos. So it's only from we'll say from um, from Delphi, it's only about uh, an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, so it's it would be easy to to do a day trip from Athens and and finish there and sleep there for the night. And like Venice. Uh, there's a massive natural lagoon there, and they they still use that lagoon. You can go out on ships and uh, go fishing, uh, or you can uh, go out on boats, that is, and go go fishing, and then uh, cook with the locals and the Pilates, which are these huts uh, built over the lagoon. Or you could take a uh, an arthritic mud bath in the with the the healing uh, mud uh, of that lagoon, and it's just just one of these places where you know you you kind of you feel the 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 fullness of the 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 place uh in the you know the the culture that's still living like you know i know that you love southern italy that uh, i know you you all you love all of italy but it's like you go when you go further south uh the the less refined it can get but then it's like it becomes like a hearty meal right instead of you know having you know fine dining in paris you're get something that your grandmother made you and you know that that has that countryness to it and anyway i think mesolungi is is a little bit uh is a little bit like that uh and then i'll I'll just i'll give you one more uh which is that everybody everybody knows has seen these iconic images of of meteora yeah i haven't been there i'd love to I, I haven't, uh, and and maybe maybe this is the wrong way of articulating this because Meteor is also amazing, um, but uh, and it is a beautiful trip. I, I, we're, we're actually we're not taking our groups to Meteor, not because it's not worthwhile. It absolutely is, uh, but but because I think it's an ex- one of those experiences that you can actually better have 
uh, on your own. And we may, who knows, maybe we can rope that into a Northern Greece tour or something eventually. But instead, where we're going to go is to Dimitsana, uh, which is uh, in Arcadia, kind of in the center of Greece. And uh, there are, are two monasteries there. There's uh, St. John Prodromos, uh, which is St. John the, the forerunner, right? The, he was the announcer. And it's this wonderful monastery that's built right up uh, onto the cliffside. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, magical to, to do a hike, uh, to, to visit there. Actually, you can, there's two places you can start the hike from, or at least two, uh, but where you can kind of walk uh, through the gorge, uh, which is, uh, again, is beautiful to see in its own right. And as according to legend, this is where Zeus was bathed uh, by the nymphs as a child. And go and visit uh, St. John Prodromos. And the monks will, actually, they welcome you there. They have coffee made and, and sweets, and wow. they, they take time to have a conversation with you. And, uh, and actually, they'll do the same on the other side of the hike at Philosopho, philosophy, like the philosophy monastery. And this is it's actually, it's the new philosophy monastery, uh, but the old one that was, you know, like Prodoromos, uh, it was built up on the, on the side of the, of the mountain, on the side of the gorge. And you can walk and you can visit the remains there, but uh, that was a place where throughout all of the, the Ottoman occupation of Greece, uh, the patriarchs of Greece went there to be educated. So it was a kind of a secret monastery, but uh, again, and this is a kind of a beautiful image of Greeks themselves, because actually they haven't uh, had, you know, since the fourth century BC, as you're saying, I mean, that was kind of the top. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, we don't think of them as, as being a, you know, a massive world power. They're not an economic powerhouse, certainly. Um, but, but what they do, what they have figured out over these millennia of, you know, occupation is how to be themselves, regardless of who's in charge. Uh, and and uh, anyway, I, I just think of that because Philosopho, the old one, uh, kind of illustrates that it was a secret monastery where the patriarchs were educated for you know almost a thousand years uh, of the the Ottoman influence. And you can go and visit that, and also stop at Philosophy uh, Monastery and uh, have a chat with the monks. And they again, they when Maria and I were there, they just welcomed us. They you know stopped what they were doing and took time to, to answer our questions. And they were just kind of attentive and present in a way that is deeply reassuring. And anyway, that was, that's, in Dimi, that was, that's very close to Dimitsana, or Stemnitsa, these, these beautiful mountain towns. And uh, we probably, many of us are familiar with the word uh, or the kind of Arcadia uh, because, and that's, that's a region of Greece, that kind of mountain region of Greece that's, that's really beautiful and worth traveling. So I suppose some, some kind of combination like that is what I would do, right? Where you visit the highlights, but also some of the hidden places, because in those hidden places, as you know, whether it's in Groni and the shoemakers or uh, in Pilos going for a sale with a local or in uh, Dimitsana with the monks, you probably will find that, you know, people are, are welcoming you just as, as they would their, their neighbors or their, or their families. Well, and it's nice to, to have experiences like that in maybe villages people have never heard of, because I think there is such a great opportunity to actually have, you know, connection with the locals, because you're a little bit of a novelty. You know, if you just kind of stick to the places everybody's heard of, 
you're just one of many people coming and visiting. So, um, so you said you were in Greece during the kind of height of the early pandemic. How was that? What was that like? It was great. It was great. Uh, honestly, it was. As I all of like us are trapped in our houses and we're like, you know, every single day getting up and not being able to leave our homes, Jesse's posting pictures of laying on the beach in Greece. And I'm just like, charmed life, my friend, charmed life. That was a blessing. It really was. And, and not, um, how, how, to, how, to, how to say exactly why? I mean, not only because, of course, being uh, on the Mediterranean, right, in the, in the Aegean, uh, yeah. is, you know, it has some of the, the most fabulous swimming and you can, that was one of the six reasons during when you were locked down that you were allowed to go out was to go and get exercise. What? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you, okay. but, but, you know, I, 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 you, I'll, let, I'll just tell you a couple of stories, uh, Sarah, and you'll enjoy this, which is that I know, I know that in Naples, when they introduced the green pass, uh, that immediately people started uh, taking screenshots of the green pass and sending it to their friends who didn't have green passes so that they could be used. Yeah. Now, I think that the, the number uh, that you could text, you had to have a Greek cell phone, so this never worked for us, but the number that you could text when you were in Greece with one of the six reasons that would give you permission to leave your homes was 212. So I have a friend who will remain unnamed who changed the name of his uh, one of his friends and, and put 212 as his name. So he could send a message to this 212 uh, and receive permission for doing whatever it was that he was supposed to do. And so there's, there was this kind of, um, and that may be uh, maybe a bit too sort of mafia style. I don't know if that made sense or not, but in other words, he was kind of getting past some of the restriction uh, in what would be perhaps not a totally legal way. But what I, what I loved uh, about that was this kind of humanness, right? Where they said, well, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not, gonna not go and visit my grandmother because you know, we're locked down everywhere in the country. I'm gonna find a way, and this is the Italian way too, right? That they, 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 yeah. they did this over and over again. So I'm, I'm gonna find a way to take you know, my nonna, her meal. Right. And, and they kind of they continued to live in that way. And so they were and I'm not saying they were inattentive because they were actually very attentive. Right. And people were I never you know, actually, I have COVID right now, uh, which I got from looking after my brother's kids. Uh, and, I, you know, I have I had had antibody testing that when I came back from the States, I never had COVID uh, in spite of traveling all over the place. And that's because actually, on the whole, people are really attentive and careful. And, you know, they were wearing their masks when, when shops were still open, they were wearing their masks. And, you know, when they had to be closed, they were closed. Uh, so I don't know, it was, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience. And actually, um, it, it was probably the only place, and this was, say, uh, Maria and I were there, and that was the fall of uh, this is 2022, 20, so 2020, we spent uh, the whole fall there. It has, then, it's actually been two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has. It's, it's just gone yeah. on. But then we we um, we were wanting to get married, right? And I haven't, I haven't told you this story, but it was actually, it was the probably, you know, we were in Rome at the time, and it was probably the only place that we could both go to because uh, Italians, Europeans were not allowed in the States or Canada. 
And, um, you know, Rome, they had such a long, although that was, that's where Maria's uh, residency is, his Italian passport, they had such a long wait to get married, right? In Rome, it's like eight months during the pandemic. So we couldn't, that, that wasn't going to work for us. I couldn't even stay. But in Greece, they're like, you know, we show up at the town hall with the doc, you know, we had done our research, we brought the documents they needed, and we showed up on a Tuesday, and this was in Pilos, and the, the, the woman, the assistant to the mayor, who manages all the, the weddings, she said, well, when would you like to get married? And Maria said, well, as soon as possible. And she said, well, I have three weddings on Friday, she said, how about Thursday? Uh, <laughs> and so, so we got married there on a Thursday, two days later, and I share that as an example of Again, this kind of sense of um, of wanting still to make things work in the pandemic. Again, like I, 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 I never, you know, we were social distance, right? We never uh, met with people in in homes. I mean, people were were very attentive to those things, but there was still a kind of a willingness to to make society work, right? Yeah. And I guess that was kind of the point I was making relative to, you know, the being under the under the influence of empires for, for so many centuries is that I think, you know, and even, even now, right under the EU, right there, you know, in the, in the world's economy, Greece is fundamental, you know, it's, it's very minimal. Uh, so that's, you know, and they're not, that's not where they're, they're not good at that either. Right. I mean, you, you the, to pick up your, to get your mail in Greece, you, um, it doesn't get delivered to your house. You go to the, you go to the, the, the town um, post uh, office and you sort through the mail and you get your letters. By oh, it's not post. even sorted. You have to actually yeah, go find you know, like, your own mail. Well, <laughs> no, it, 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 well, it depends, right? We, we tried to order a couple of things on, uh, on Amazon uh, because I had, I had accidentally burned uh, the, the Airbnb's Bialetti maker. So I wanted to, to get a replacement and there were, there were no Bialetti's uh, in, in, I would have had to go to Athens, right? Uh, because again, it's, not, it's just not that commercial. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we tried to order this and this is how I found out that the mail doesn't come to your address. You have to go and pick it up. And so in this case, it actually didn't even go to Coroni. It went to Methoni, you know, the, the town a little bit further away. They're like, yeah, you can. No, really, it doesn't work like this. You shouldn't be ordering packages. And you have to you have to put Methoni post office if you want to come and pick, you know, the line. but, but so there's it's not the like you're of, in Seattle where like I was laying in bed on a Sunday morning and I ordered something and it arrived at my doorstep an hour and a half later. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, like yeah, that, right? Exactly. No, no, not like that. But, <laughs> but the beauty of that is that you end up, you know, so there's this kind of, on the one hand, dysfunction, right? Which of course it can be frustrating, but on the other hand, there's a kind of, acceptance or community or solution right like that you you get what you need in these places that they're you know i was amazed uh that when we were there i, I wanted to buy some scotch tape uh and so i went to the the supermarket and how much was a roll of scotch tape just take a guess uh five euro <laughs> ten cents ten, ten cents, cents. <laughs> like ten cents you're like you can't even you can't even put this on the shelves and pay somebody you're like so you know that and so what is it it's just this i mean they were selling it at the supermarket why because people needed it right not because they were going to make any money off of it and, and so uh, from that perspective 
I guess the, the pandemic it was great being there because there is, yeah, there are certain things that don't work and we all get used to how things don't work, but, but there's a willingness to, to kind of work within that and then kind of make it work, whatever the conditions are. I guess that's the point I was trying to make with all these examples. Well, and that's, that's very much uh, an Italian sort of approach too. that uh, the art of arranging things, you know, yeah. Uh, my son was making fun of me the other day because he says that I've become so Italian because that's my skill set is like, how do you make things work when they're working against you? <laughs> and I'm living in an environment where everything's working against me, but you know, I'm figuring it out. And I think that's such a great, it, it's just resilience. You know, I guess that's sort of the, the lesson to be learned from the Greeks and um, the ancient Romans as well as resilience, right? Right. And I mean, the art of arranging things, holy smokes. Yeah, right now with, uh, with running a, a, a tour company in the pandemic, uh, you, you kind of have to have that, that, that fluidity and that, and that flexibility. I'm just uh, really I glad I have a lot of really good friends who owe me favors. <laughs> the way we've had to rearrange everything based on how many people were going. And I mean, yeah, this, it's just been, it's been a wild ride. And I'm sure for you too, just making, trying to get a small tour company running in this environment is maybe the worst possible moment to do it, but in some ways also the best possible moment, because I think you and I can agree that like this is the opportunity for us small players, for us, you know, youngins in this industry to to actually try to change things, try to change the things we know don't work, right? Well, and 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 you know, as we've been chatting about today, to offer a, a style of experience that yeah. that I, I think we 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 both feel this way offers a kind of an antidote to to some of the some of the difficulties of the pandemic. Uh, and yeah. I want to be careful about how to say that because it's obviously it's not a vaccine. Uh, but it is what we're what what we're committed to are offering experiences that are are elevating and that that reveal that that desire to to aspire and that that sense of human dignity uh, whether whether it's with the fisherman or the pizza maker in Naples uh, or or by by walking up to to visit some some ancient stones right I think that that's you know these are things that we need. Right. Like, yeah, in the pandemic, yeah, we we don't the pandemic taught us, I think, very much, at least from my point of view, that we were all moving too fast before we were all in a hurry. We were trying to do too much. And this whole concept of bucket list really feeds that it feeds that desperation to do all the things where I, I mean, you and I have been tour guides long enough to know that doing all the things does not equal a good experience. You know, doing all the things often diminishes those experiences, which could be actually really fantastic if you took your time. You know, there's only so much you can process. There's only so much you can really take in. And, you know, you need to respect those boundaries. And so that's why I think that moving forward, slowing people down, having them stay in one place longer, you know, and really getting in touch with the things they're seeing rather than just be like, okay, you took a picture of Santorini, you've seen Greece you know. Right, exactly. Avoiding that kind of, uh, on the one hand, avoiding that kind of selfie Instagram cool shot, uh, like not made, not necessarily avoiding, but but making the content uh, or the experience one that uh, is much more than that. Yeah. And, and then on the other hand, um, building connections that are, are more than what the, your online reservations are, right? I mean, of course, people can go and visit the the Colosseum or St. Peter's, uh, you know, I mean, St. Peter's, you don't need a reservation, but the Vatican Museum, all of the, all of the things that everybody are kind of queuing up to do, 
which are worthwhile, right? That's, you know, we don't, that's, that's not really what, what I think we're, we're hungry for at this time. Here's a question for you though, Sarah, which is, have you considered uh, doing a tour where there were no cell phones or, or something kind of along those lines? <laughs> Taking people back to the dark ages. I mean, I haven't, I haven't, but that's an interesting idea to make it sort of, I mean, we, we've done that sort of by accident in the sense that, you know, I've taken people places where technology doesn't work. Um, so, right. but that's funny you say that though, because I, I do think that the technology stuff can be so helpful, especially in a group situation. You know, I've been using WhatsApp groups now to communicate with my tour members because putting schedules up sometimes doesn't work, you know, in hotels. And that really does help. But yeah, I long for the, those days. I mean, I remember those days of, I mean, all the travel I did in my younger years was just on a wing and a prayer, really. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, that's interesting. You know, I, I actually wrote about that. That's funny you bring that up because I wrote about that when I went to uh, Greece because I decided to go to Greece 24 hours before the flight took off. Wow. Because I was I was supposed to go to Sicily and then that didn't happen for a variety of reasons and so I was like kind of at loose ends and so I thought I'm just going to go do something bold I'm going to go so, I'm going to go to Greece and having that phone it was so easy it was like no absolutely no effort to just put something together really really quickly like that um, but that spontaneity I I remember doing that when I was younger and I you know you got along fine and I think in a way that's a different skill set you know. Yeah, and I know that whether it's, you know, there doesn't have to be a, a strong rule, right, that you're, when you lead tours, your, your, your tour members are, are here, right? I mean, they're in the, they're in the there and the now, right? In the yeah. There and the now. Uh, and, you know, not, not looking, uh, not watching YouTube videos on their, on their cell phones. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a kind of a, a strong rule, but it's just something that I, that I, you know, I think about because not not because it actually would change uh, our style of travel, but because it's it might attract it, it might be just another way of like you always say, you know, pack light, right? Carry, yeah. you know, you have to, in other words, you know, unplug, right? You have to be ready to unplug, uh, and you know, I suppose it's not really necessary because because folks are uh, already. Yeah, it's that's a tough one, you know. I I feel that just as a parent as well that you know, like I'm taking the kids to Italy on the weekend, and I'm they're going to bring their phones and you know their laptops because you know they're Gen Z and they can't live without that stuff. But I mean, I remember when I took them last time in 2019, I told them when we're driving through the countryside, I know you want your phones, but I want you to not have your phones for at least like two out of the three hours put your phones down, take a nap if you need to, but maybe why don't you try looking around and, you know, watch what's going on outside the windows and all of that, because I think there's, there's value in boredom, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's and, true and for adults too. Don't you think there's value in being in a little Greek village somewhere with no technology and nothing to do because now you're forced to actually go talk to people. Right. Well, that was just what I was going to say. I remember my first trip to Europe, um, was, uh, after, uh, I had, you know, I had been, after I graduated university, I had worked for a year, saved up some money. And then I ended up meeting with, meeting up with one of my good friends, Isaac Stein, 
and we both had rail passes. I had a you know a two week rail pass or something, and you know we made you know it was a kind of back and forth doing all of these crazy things. I remember we went from Rome up to Arles in the south of France, and then kind of on a whim we decided we would go down to Sicily, and actually from there we almost made it into Tunisia. Uh, but as we were making this journey, of course we, you know, I, I was. I was traveling around with Vespoke Zorathustra. Zora, Zora uh, of course Nietzsche. you were. <laughs> like, uh, it was, I, I didn't have a guidebook. Uh, so and I traveled with have, Milan Kundera, so I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and you're like, so what do you, when you're trying to figure out, you said, well, where should we stop? And when we got to Agrigento, we actually, we were planning on going to Palermo. But we got off the train in Agrigento, not knowing that there was really anything there. Somebody, we were just chatting with the with locals, and they're like, "No, no, you really should get off here." And and actually, I remember this occasion because there was there was a gentleman uh, on that train, and he he didn't trust us. I mean, we were had been sleeping on the train, so we we maybe looked not trustworthy, uh, and 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 you know, kind of he he was interrogating us in a in a less friendly way. Uh, and then as the, the conversation progressed, he kind of, at a certain point, he made a decision. He said, you know, these guys are not dangerous. And so instead of continuing to interrogate us, he then got off the train with us in Agrigento and took us out for pizza, wow. uh, which, you know, if we had just been, you know, on TripAdvisor, uh, you know, maybe we would have found Agrigento, but we wouldn't have had that same experience with the man on the train who then gave us pizza and made recommendations for, for what we would do. And yeah, well, um, TripAdvisor is garbage anyway, but that's a whole different subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No, I agree with you. It's funny because as I'm talking to you, Andrew was just texting me saying, I had that idea. Let's have an electronics free day on a tour sometime, which, you know, it's, you you can't tell grownups to not use their electronics, but you know, it is good. Like, you, you know how I travel always with my watercolors and that is a really specific tool that I use for, to get myself off of my phone and get myself in the moment. Because if you sit and you draw or you paint, you are heavily observing where you are and you're really in the moment because you have to be. And that for me is just my, my little technique of unplugging and, and really just being there. And maybe for you, it's writing. You sit down. Yeah, I'll travel. I'll, I was just yeah. thinking, I'll travel with the moleskin. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I always travel with, you know, I, I, I hate myself, Sarah. I'm not, not like you. I'm, I'm, I'm not like you in that I can just travel with nothing. But I end up taking these five or eight pounds of books. And, you know, one it's of them is hold. always a moleskin. <laughs> What are you doing? Uh, get, get a Kindle, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should have just, I like holding on to them. What, what I know. Saying? Yes, I know. I'm telling you that. And I have in front of me here, uh, the Guide Collective Book Club pick for this month. It's a paper book because yeah, I could have gotten it on my phone, but I just, I like the smell. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, but to your point of, of the watercolors, uh, I have maybe once written a poem on a cell phone, right? So where, whereas, you know, in, when you're, you're in the moleskin, countless, right? Because there's a kind of a different, it, for me anyway, it's reflective in a different way. And of, of course, you know, we don't have to 
it doesn't have to be a rule. It's, it's, it's an approach. Uh, no, but a, I think physiologically, there's something to that though, because it's that it's, are you a visual learner? Are you a aural learner? Are you a kinetic learner? And so many people are kinetic learners and they don't even realize it. Like if you, when you were a kid in class, if you would fidget and listen to your teacher talk, you're probably a kinetic learner. And that means that actually the physical act of writing rather than typing something into your phone or on a computer, you're, it, I think it actually is healthier for your brain. I mean, I find that with drawing that if I actually have to sit there, I could take a picture of it. I could use you know, my iPad to do a sketch or something, but when I have actually a pencil and paper and I'm physically and kinetically connecting with the place around me, that's a really different kind of learning. And I think it, it deposits that moment in your brain in a more indelible way. I think, I, think I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, that our tendency now is, you know, we, we pick up the phone and, you know, we get a little bit bored. We're kind of flipping to the, the next, the next thing. Uh, but when, when you, when you resist that and unplug, uh, then again, you're, you're looking up, right? Looking up and, and out and, and that's, you know, it's like opening the door of the world, actually. And I don't know how much more time we have, but I'll tell you just a, a quick story. And I'll encourage you to, uh, or maybe what I'll do is maybe I'll post in the comments here uh, later a, a link to watch this video. But while, while I was in Greece this last fall, uh, I had uh, taken a drone uh, with me. And, you know, I'm not, it was just, it's just a small Mavic Mini drone. And we were going around uh Trying to get some some images that we would would share throughout the year, and we were in northern Greece, and at, at a certain point, I, I flew the drone out between these two cliffs, and it, I you know it's, it's a small drone, so it kind of lost connectivity, and I said, oh geez, I'm going to lose it. So it, there's an automatic uh, call to home uh, function, and I kind of after a couple of minutes, I allowed it to come back home, and it. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, uh, but it struck the cliff. I thought it had fallen in the water. Uh, and so I, I dove out, uh, I put my, my cell phone in a little dry bag that I was carrying with me and I dove into the water and swam out a few hundred meters and, and tried to uh, recover this drone. I was looking all over for it. And, you know, again, people were very helpful. Uh, they, you know, they said, oh, you can't walk through the trees. It's too, you know, it's, it's too dense. And to make a long story short, I my phone broke during this time. It wasn't actually water damage, but I think what happened is uh, when I was swimming with it on my, on my arm, uh, the repetitive uh, banging against my, my wrist uh, didn't, it was anyway, not healthy for the phone. So I, so I ended up uh, this for the next two weeks living uh, without a phone. And if you want to pick up the story later, then I, I with Maria's phone, I uh, continued my adventure of, of finding the drone. Uh, and, and those I think you'll find uh, find humorous. Uh, but the point uh, I want to make is that I didn't miss the phone at all. Yeah. Right. I, I you know it, it's, it was such a it's such an instrument of work for me uh, that and you know Maria had her phone so my family could still contact me. But I, I felt you know like I was living 15 years ago. Um, you know I could I could make Skype calls if I wanted, uh, but I wasn't at the mercy of of being busy. And I think there that is makes a tyranny, big difference. isn't there? There's the tyranny of the cell phone, I find. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, my phone, because my business partners are all around the world and guides and everybody I work with, I wake up every single morning, like this morning, I wake up and there's bad news or there's stuff I have to do. And, you know, it, it's it's fine because I'm home and I'm self-employed, so I work 24 hours a day. But if I'm actually somewhere where I'm trying to unplug, that's not healthy. It's not healthy to constantly be available to people, I don't think. I think you, you do need to say, you need boundaries. And I think that our cell phones have allowed us to become boundaryless, especially with friends and partners and things like that, who, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to like be by yourself without a way for people to reach you, I think. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And it's like, just as you were speaking, I was thinking, well, you know, is it more meaningful when you say visit a museum? For example, you're standing in front of uh, any any great work of art, um, the uh, the Venus de Milo in Lou in the Louvre. Is it more meaningful to to stand there, kind of in silence, uh, and 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 kind of feel your relationship and think about it, or to try and take pictures uh, through you know a phone or a camera? And I'm, I'll, I, you know I, I spent a lot of time working as a photographer, so I don't. I'm not saying that one or the other is is the best way, but there. Yeah, no, there's yeah. something to that, and I would say the same for like if you're in a museum you've never been to before and you see a work of art, you know, you you have two choices. You can just look at it, soak it in, interpret it for yourself, or you can look it up on Wikipedia and you can read about it. And I would argue, actually, looking it up on Wikipedia and learning the backstory about the artist and all that stuff, yeah, okay, that does bring a certain level of extra understanding and meaning to it, but. I would say if you didn't do that, if you just looked and you just enjoyed it for what it visually is and not the backstory, you're going to remember that more. Yeah, I think I think that there's a lesson there, right? That and yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a balance that you you know obviously you know we're providing experiences that uh, are, are are specifically designed to give be a balance of you know, being present in the moment, but also providing the information that will open uh, folks up to those, those, those moments. Uh, but I, I couldn't, I, I absolutely agree. I think that just learning to, to, to sit and, and observe is, it's a very hard lesson for, for us as modern travelers to, to learn. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I think the solution I would say is do your reading before you leave. You know, if you are going to go and see the Parthenon, read a book about the Parthenon before you go. And then you have the opportunity to just enjoy thinking about the things you've already learned. Because I think when you're there, it is great to have a, a guide. It's great to have a guidebook. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, this is what I've dedicated my life to. <laughs> so I understand there is a huge value to that guidebook or that, that guide telling you about it. But at the same time, yeah, sometimes it might, you, you need to balance it with just observing and taking it in and thinking about it having somebody with you who's a good companion that you can have a good conversation with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Taking the time just to, just to sit on, on the bench sometimes or, yeah. you know, sit at, sit in a cafe and. Yeah. Um, well, my friend, we have talked a long time because I always have such interesting conversations with you. So uh, I appreciate all of your kind of different approach to this because you do have a very unique way of looking at things that I think is um, helps travelers to take things a little bit deeper. So I think that's great. Uh, what do you have planned for us this week? Well, tomorrow 
we will uh, visit with Mesolungi by locals, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, Wednesday, I think that's the Cucina Quarantena. Mm -hmm. if, is that normally? I think so. We'll do we'll do a cooking uh, class, and uh, we're still a little bit up on the air on that. And you tell me, uh, yeah. And actually, we'll 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 put this out there because I think we have two options. Either uh, Maria and I could do something uh, that is the recipes that we learned while we're living in Greece, and this could be easy things that, you know, it could be, for example, uh, the tzatziki of the Greeks uh, and hummus. Ooh, and Let's do that. Uh, like tzatziki would be really fun. I don't even know how to make tzatziki. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, well uh, in, uh, done. And then we we'll can meet Maria. Yeah. And you'll get to meet Maria. And then Thursday, we're going to go to Naxos uh, and meet with Vasiliki. Uh, and on Friday, uh, I actually was going to ask you about that and say, how, how should we, we tie the week off? I mean, we could... Usually I do a, 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 we do a slideshow. So if you want to put okay. together a slideshow about Greece, it can either just be one that is about the tour you're offering, or if you just want to do a general overview, you have such beautiful photographs. I think if you just want to take us on a virtual slideshow journey, that would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll do that. So that's our week. Cool. Well, that sounds great. So most of these events, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time, does that work for you to just kind of keep can we there? can can we do 9 a.m. tomorrow? With yes, yes, I think if that can. if that's possible, that will just be a little bit a little bit earlier. Yeah, uh, I think we can do 9 a.m. Okay, yep. so we'll do 9 a.m. Okay. tomorrow, and then the other events will be at 10 a.m. Uh, this week. So you'll get to meet Jesse and learn more about him. And if you want to find his website, your website is Alethea. Dot com is that right? No, it's Alethea Alethea Travel uh, dot com A L I T H E A Travel dot com. Yeah. So if you have any questions for Jesse or you'd like to get in contact with him, go ahead and comment on this video. We'll also put the link to his website on uh, this. So and of course, like Fran and like Jorge, I've known Jesse a really long time, and I really do encourage you if you're thinking about uh, booking a tour this year choose one of us because we're we're scrappy youngins and we're trying to get out there and change travel and we'd really like you, for you to join us this year so um if you want to go to greece jesse's your man this year right absolutely well listen thanks so much sarah i really really appreciate our conversation today and yeah it's always always a pleasure i look forward to tomorrow yeah, that's going to be fun. So we'll see you guys all uh, tomorrow back here at 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And just remember, all of this stuff is going to be recorded and then left here on Facebook, also uploaded to YouTube later in the week. So thanks a lot, Jesse. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Sarah. Bye-bye.